Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. To keep the momentum of Kink Week going, I've got the wonderful Michal David on the line. Michal is the media representative for the Eulenspiegel Society, or TESS, as it's called, the oldest BDSM community in the United States. TESS is a not-for-profit dedicated to social interaction and educational exchange. Michal's next upcoming project with TESS is to revitalize Prometheus, a historic kink magazine. She also teaches classes at Tess and elsewhere on kink, particularly about erotic hypnosis. Personally, she is a New York-based submissive who has been in the BDSM scene for about four years. In her vanilla life, she's also a writer by profession, and you can visit the Tess website by going to tes.org. Welcome, Michal. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you made time to do this. And I think it's so important to educate the listeners on what's going on with the community. So tell us about how Tess got started, the history of the organization and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a good year for Tess. It's our 45th year. We began in 1971. Uh, it actually began, our founder is a man named Pat Bond, and he founded Tess sort of inspired by other liberation movements he was seeing going on. He was seeing gay liberation and women's lib and black liberation movements, and he thought there should be that sort of thing for sadomasochists, mm-hmm. which was generally the umbrella term back then. Mm-hmm. And over the decades, it's developed um, into an education and social and advocacy community, and lots more communities like it have uh popped up in the United States and all over the world. That's awesome. And so you're based in New York, right? Yes. Okay. And so what are what are the biggest benefits of joining TESS? Because it is membership-based, right? It is membership-based. Um, almost all of our events are open to people who are not members. Uh, we love new people. Membership generally gets you things like really steep discounts to classes. It can go from like $20 to $5 with wow. a membership. Yeah. yeah. You uh, can get recognized as a TESS member. Very often, um, other communities that are organizations that are similar to TESS will have partnerships. So we'll recognize their members. They'll recognize ours. So if you're maybe active in California and you're visiting, then you can come into TESS and be somewhat recognized as a community member. Hmm. Um, And also even things like discounts with uh, local small businesses that cater to various sexual interests. Oh, so I could get some cool leather. Absolutely. Yeah. So I could get some outfits. I could look hot. And also I could travel all around and still be recognized as a member, which is super cool. So you mentioned that there are events and classes. So tell us more about that. Like what educational elements are part of TESS? It's it's sort of 50-50 education social. Okay. Um, so... We have two classes almost every week, usually Tuesdays and Wednesdays evenings in Manhattan, so people can go after work. Uh, And we like to have about one party a month that usually ties in with an additional class. Um, And the classes can be about pretty much anything um, in the the wide, wide spectrum. Give us some examples, just like, like three or four examples of classes. 
Um, this coming week, uh, we're doing intro to caning. Mm. Um, hypnosis is having this sort of, uh, everyone is teaching a bunch of small classes, uh, so that new presenters can get a chance to workshop what they're doing. Um, in the coming week after that, there's a sort of open bring rope and let's tie. So there will be people there who can mentor if you want to try something new. So there's everything from very formal lectures to sort of open workshop type of things. And often the classes end with a circle, um, which is how Tess originally used to meet in the 70s, Hmm. was essentially a safe space circle where you can just talk about whatever it is you need to talk about and what happens there stays there. So often test meetings will consist of the class followed by the circle. That's awesome. So if you go to a class, let's say, let's say I attend the the caning workshop, and I get some good tips on that, like what to do, what not to do, and get a chance to even apply it myself. And then at the end, I could say, I don't know, I learned so much today. Thank you so much. Like, I feel more expressive. I feel more open. This was exciting. Thank you so much. That kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Or if or you could get to circle and you could say something that has nothing to do with the class, you could say, I'm struggling with whether or not I want to tell my family I'm kinky, you know, Uh anything that is in the, once again, big Tess umbrella. That's awesome. So it's like a support community. Yes. So tell us about some of the social events. Well, uh, Tess sometimes has munches. Munch is a BDSM slang term for a gathering where you go out, you usually get something to eat, and you just talk. You don't have to talk about kink, but that's generally what you're going to be talking about. There are lots of um, munches that go on in New York and certainly every city. They're the easiest Mm. kink um, gathering to organize. And Tess will generally have one out of their novice, novice special interest group. So if you are new and unfamiliar, you can get together at the novice munch, which is always before the party. You don't have to stick around for the okay. party, but it's if you're going to go to the party, it's good to get with other people who are maybe a little bit less familiar also going in. Right. So are munches then primarily for newcomers, or are munches just meant for anybody in the kink community at any level to just get together and hang out and not have to actually play? Certainly the latter, yeah. Okay. Uh, a lot of new people feel very comfortable in munches, and it's a really good way to sort of see who's there and, and yeah. what's going on. But mm-hmm. the the value stays the more you make friends and get to know people in the community. Right. And so it is a good place for a newcomer because then they could get to know people and gain that trust level to get to the next stage of actually finding a partner, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a positive thing. So how else do you explain tests or recommend ways of for newcomers to get more involved in the community? Um, do you say to them, hey, this is like a safe, open, supportive community? I mean, how do you describe it to somebody who may be afraid or have fear? I would certainly say it is less scary than it sounds. When I first entered TESS, that was my, my first takeaway from my first class. I came away and I said, wow, kinksters aren't scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a subculture as much as any other. If it makes anyone feel any safer, there's a lot of overlap with other groups. The nerdier the group, the higher the correlation of overlap. I do not know why. Mm. Um, what do you mean? So, I mean, I mean, the kind of people who go to Renaissance fairs and play Dungeons and Dragons, they're the kind of people who are who often also intersect with the kink scene, Mm -hmm. though, of course, not necessarily. Um, Right. Because there's also the whole leather community, which 
in my mind, and I could be totally off base, but I associate with like, you know, motorcycle clubs and stuff like that. Right. Um, and leather can sometimes have somewhat of a metaphorical term in the kink scene. Not not to get too into the semantics, but you can talk about leather and not actually wear leather. <laughs> there, uh-huh. there are certain there are certainly vegans into leather, so I, I can't speak as to gotcha. the, the sexual practices of Hell's Angels, but um, right, right. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that's the thing is it's a subculture like any other, and if you you might have this image of sort of mean, cool people mm. wearing latex, right? And it's not going to look like anything one way or the other. It'll look like a group of open-minded people who are, are building community around the their ability to talk frankly about their sexual mm-hmm. desires and then deciding how to improve that space and create ones where others can also become comfortable. Right, right. And I love that idea of creating comfort so that if somebody... They do have this desire to explore, but they're not sure how. And, you know, for them growing up, sex was a taboo topic at home, all of that kind of stuff. It's like it's okay to just go to a munch, talk to some people and see how you feel. And it's like no pressure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing, though, is like I talked to someone who's really active in the community and she had told me that they don't like it or she doesn't like it. Her group, when people come to munches, they're a newcomer and they don't actually talk to people. They just kind of like are, I don't know, wallflower, like they just kind of watch and observe. And so she really had a problem with that because she's like, then that's weird. She's like, if you want to come, then get to know us. How do you feel about that? I mean, I wouldn't want to push anyone out of their comfort level, but I, I certainly see that frustration is that you're here at the munch. No one is going to be doing anything in, in front of you that you wouldn't be comfortable with. You're just there in a social yeah. situation like yeah. any other party. Now is the time to really, you know, just go up to someone and shake their hand and say and say hi. And and you can you as the newcomer can ask all the questions and mm-hmm. not have the burden to, to talk about what you're interested in. Right. So don't expect if you're a newcomer and you go to a munch, don't expect people to just come up to you and be like, hi, tell me about yourself. You have to be willing to go there and to participate and really have an interest, a true interest. So don't be creepy. Don't, <laughs> don't be creepy is really the best advice I can give is yeah. we're a, a sexually open community but that doesn't mean that we like having someone breathing down our necks right you know as you know tourist is not is not a term you would use for someone who's legitimately interested but for someone who doesn't want to contribute socially Mm -hmm. um can Mm -hmm. can feel a little weird yeah yeah totally are there any other like uh should not do's or bloopers that have happened at munches that you know of that could be a good guideline for people out there listening so they should not do that Really err on the side of respecting people's boundaries. You use your common sense and be an adult and know how to approach people about sensitive topics because mm-hmm. there are certain things that would be sacred that you would not be able to ask in another similar setting, but that you can ask here. So just make it clear where you're coming from and be polite and be open and make your intentions clear. And sometimes you might, you won't see play, but you might see, for example, couples who have a certain dynamic. You might, for example, have a dominant and submissive and the submissive has to serve the dominant lunch, you know, whatever it is. Um, And if that is the case, it's same as if you were at a class or a party, uh, do not interfere with what, how other people are interacting in a kinky sense. Uh Aha. And that's important, actually. So if you see somebody who's obviously together in some way, it's just like in vanilla life. Don't just go up and start like trying to flirt and pull one partner away from the other. 
That's totally rude. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, and this is something else I heard, and you can tell me again if I'm wrong. If you go up to somebody and you assume that that person is the submissive, that they're also going to be submissive to you. That was going to be my next point. If you see someone uh, serving someone lunch, don't call them over and say, now pour me coffee. Yeah. Ooh. Um, yeah, that is that is the number one way to get classified as a jerk. Will you get removed from the munch or do you just get warned? You would probably get warned. It would. It, we like to give people the benefit of the, ba- the doubt and a lot of munch organizers would. Um, there's no official like three strike system, but basically yeah. the slower you are to learn, the more difficult it's going to be to integrate socially into right. that. Right. No, it makes yeah. total sense. So what is your viewpoint on FetLife? I've heard so much about it. It's like the Facebook for kink. And so do you think that's a good way for especially a newcomer to meet some other people as well, in addition to munches? FetLife serves, FetLife certainly serves its purpose. I have a FetLife. Almost everyone I know has a FetLife. Some people use it a lot. Some people use it very little. Uh, it's in flux as a website right now. They're actually changing how open registration is, which seems to be a little sketchy and unclear, but let's let's say everyone can just register. I mean, there are there are pros and cons. It's when you're going to meet anyone else on the internet, it can be a little, you know, it can be sketchy to meet right. someone on Tinder. Um, and FetLife, for better or for worse, is more specific. It's a good way of finding out what events are happening and where and when. And to a degree, you can filter for interest. And there are message boards and writings where you can see maybe what various people in the community are talking about. Um, There's no... So I say it's good to supplement going to, say, a munch or a class, but... Ultimately, it's no substitute for a room full of real people. Right. And also, people people on the internet just seem less nice, and they seem scarier. <laughs> totally. So it's, 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 it's not going to help you necessarily get a better image of what the scene is really like right. if you're only experiencing it online. Right. And this is interesting, too, because I've spoken about like social media and how millennials approach it versus other generations and such, and how the younger generations tend to, like, that's the only way they communicate is through, you know, texting or chatting online and such and so do you find and this this is like a totally out there question from out out of left field but do you find that the younger generations it's tougher to get them out to munches and they just stay on FetLife the whole time or do you find the opposite I would find the opposite I would find that young people who are used to socializing online and also understanding the difference between the internet and real life I mean, I'm I'm biased. I am a millennial. Yeah. Um, tend to be able to access an online community, and then sort of figure out what is the next step for me and recognize it for what it is. And a lot of people who are older who find FetLife who have not already been in the scene. Um, certainly in lots of cases it encourages them to come out, but sometimes they sort of say, all right, now I finally found the outlet for this, and they might stop there. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to make any no generalizations right. about generations one way right. or the other right yeah no but that's interesting so and i've been thinking about that a lot lately so i'm glad that we talked about that um so let's dive into preparing for play so you find somebody who who is interested you begin to trust them what are some tips for negotiating what you're going to do what you're not willing to do what questions should a newcomer ask their potential partner well first of all in general 
overshare. Like if you're not sure if something is relevant that you want to either share or ask, then qualify. You know, I don't know if this is relevant, but but then say what it is. Uh, I wouldn't say there are no stupid questions, but information is your friend. Um, and to be really absolutely explicit, uh, especially early on, for example, if you say, I'm into pain, get descriptive and say, well, I prefer thuddy pain to stingy pain, or mm. I don't know which type of pain I like, so let's try a few different things. Um, and in terms of what you should ask your partner, ask them what they're into, which is a big part of treating them as a person and not a ride. Right. Not like, oh, you're the kinky person who can show me how to do these things, which I understand as a newbie is tempting. But keep in mind that they are interested in you also for a reason, and you two are both people. Ask them their limits. Ask them what they are interested in with you specifically. Ask them how they're feeling right now. This is regardless of who's the top, who's the bottom, if it's not clear. Um, don't think that communication is um, any limited if you're only in one particular role. Uh, also, I would definitely ask about expectations and going in if you, if your partner has any sort of aftercare, anything that makes them uh, feel comfortable mm. and safe after a scene is over. So if you say, is there anything you think you'll need? And they say, oh, actually, I often have a glass of water and wrap myself in a blanket after a scene. You can go and get that ready. Mm hmm. That's interesting. So you think about it from start to finish, even though if there's something that you miss, let's say you forget to discuss something. And then when you're in the middle of it, you're like, Oh, I forgot to tell you now that you're doing that. Um, I've got a limit about this. Is it okay to to share boundaries while you're in the middle of play or in the middle of a Absolutely. scene? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Whether or not it, if it were the opposite, and it was, Oh, I forgot to ask you if I could do this. And now we're in the middle of the scene. Don't do it unless you like, some people will say, oh, I can negotiate mid-scene, but that is not something it is safe to assume. So if you say, oh, I forgot to ask if I could do this, wait until after the scene. And the, you know, what's going to happen is that if you say, oh, I didn't know if I could do this, and your partner says, you could have totally done that. That sounds fun. Well, then you can go and do it the next time, and now you have okay. something to look forward to. Okay. Okay. So the meeting up with somebody, where, where should you go? Should you meet at a dungeon, or should you go someplace private? How does that work? Once again, it depends uh, what you're interested in. The advantage to a dungeon is uh, better equipment, not having to worry about neighbors, a degree of safety in the sense that it's relatively public. Uh, even assuming um, good faith for all parties involved, if something goes wrong despite best intentions, you'll have a dungeon monitor walking around who can help. Uh -huh. um, so that's recommended, I would imagine, especially for a newcomer if they don't really know what they're doing. Yes, but not everyone is going to be comfortable in a dungeon. Dungeons aesthetically can, you know, tend to look a little bit more like what you picture for BDSM. Some people really don't want anyone watching them. Mm -hmm. um, so there's certainly safety precautions you can take if you bring someone into your home or go into someone else's home. You know, call a friend, say, I'll text you halfway through the evening. Um, the best thing would be let you know where you are. Also, the better you get to know a person before you have that private play session, mm -hmm. the better. Right, of course. Yeah. So, and that's okay. So your potential partner should be fine with that, even if they're very experienced. They should give you as much time as you need until you're ready to set up a scene, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's, if they don't, then that's a red flag. Yes. If they're like, yeah. oh, just come on, I'll show you the ropes, so to speak. No pun right. intended. 
Right. Gatekeeping so, is a is a red flag, and and white knightism is a red flag of sort of oh, I'm so sorry that you weren't able to have this before. Don't worry, I can help you. You know. Mm-hmm. What about safe words within play? Is that something that should be negotiated in advance? Or if you can't speak, let's say you're into gagging, and like, should you like predetermine hand signals if you've had your limit or what? Yes. Um, if for some reason you're going to be nonverbal during a scene, absolutely negotiate some sort of nonverbal safe word. Assuming that everyone's mouths are capable of moving, uh, you should absolutely talk about safe words. But it's good to know that there are a couple universal ideas. One, um, the traffic light system. Mm-hmm. Um, most people actually, I mean, not most people, oh, it is I don't have a personal safe word and most of my friends don't have a personal safe word. And what we instead will do is if something is really great, you can say green. Mm -hmm. If something is kind of troublesome and you need your partner to check in with you, you can say yellow. And if something wrong has gone wrong or you have just reached your limit and you need to stop the scene immediately, then you say red. Uh Aha. So, so yelling red in a dungeon is the real is the same thing as yelling no. Um, that ends that, it. Yeah. That ends it all together, not just that one activity within the scene. Uh, gen- yeah, it generally brings the scene to an end. Okay. Okay. So yellow. If you yell yellow, then your partner should stop what they're doing and do a check in. Yes. Okay. All right. And then that could be like, okay, that was a little much on that one. Like, you know, don't go that far. Or like, how, what's the best way to communicate? What's the etiquette there? The etiquette is w- is whatever feels right for you and your partner. It's it's about keeping people safe and comfortable. And even though, for example, the traffic light system is very uh, popular, another reason that I don't have a safe word is for me, no means no. Is there's an assumption that people in BDSM, you know, say absolutely silly words in random intervals because they don't want to say no. But I'm I personally am only going to say no when I am when I don't want to do something. Right. Right. So so the default is really yes means yes, no means no. And safe words can either supplement that or replace it if you've explicitly discussed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love that. So there's definitely a safety element to all of this. So the people out there who are like, ooh, I'm scared, you know, there's really no need to be because there's such great communication that happens before you even get to that point, right? Ideally, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, And that's, incidentally, one of the reasons why, and we talked about this with Dr. Michael Aaron, that people within the kink community tend to be healthier individuals because their communication is so great. Would you agree? (laughs) I've heard that too, and it's biased. I would say that I agree, yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, from my perspective, like anybody I know who's involved in the community, they're very open about how they feel about things, and they're willing to talk through things and they have good boundaries and like you said yes is yes no is no you know what I mean like there's no like wishy-washiness yeah for sure yeah so let's talk about you you are involved in the in the community so what originally drew you to this lifestyle well I'm a lifelong hypno fetishist um, and there's uh, actually currently over the last, you know, post, post-internet boom, last 10 years or so, there's been a burgeoning um, hypno-fetishist community, which then started to bleed over into the BDSM community. So I didn't know I was interested in, say, sadomasochism, but I knew I was interested in erotic hypnosis. And when I sort of got there, I was immediately told, oh, you want to you be in the BDSM scene. That's mm. a, a good way to explore this and figure out other things. How did you even discover the erotic hypnosis stuff? So I could have found out on the internet. I missed it. 
Um, I found it through uh, nerdy things, essentially. Wow. Through 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 geeks who enough of them were kinky that they said, they oh, s- yeah, there, there will be overlap at this thing. Okay. Eventually. Yeah. Okay. And you were like, oh, that's interesting. And so, tell us what it is. So, uh, erotic hypnosis is broadly speaking does not have to be kinky in the BDSM sense. It's just uh, using hypnosis and trance states to enhance. Uh, sexual player intimacy between two partners. I much prefer it as hypno kink, the intersection with BDSM. A friend recently described it as the salt of the BDSM world, which doesn't sound so pleasant, but because it brings out the flavor in everything else. Uh, you can, you know, BDSM is as bondage discipline, dominant submission, and sadomasochism. Uh, you can use hypnosis with all of those it can do anything from create sensation to help you play out fantasies to creating better connection with a partner to just feeling really good to just relaxing to just getting relaxed it it can be but that is often a misconception because um as my as my dominant partner likes to say i don't want to be remembered as the most relaxing lover you've ever had (laughs) right right most people want to be the most exciting passionate amazing fiery lover right yes and that can absolutely be a hypnosis Thing, but I am a fetishist, so I am biased. Okay. So tell us, you just mentioned you have a dominant. So how did you even know that you felt most comfortable being a sub? Well, as I said, the um, fetish I've had since I was preschool in preschool, but when I hit puberty and my fantasies started becoming sexual, it just sort of, for me, organically shifted into fantasizing about me in the submissive role. And when I started experimenting and entering the scene, I found my <laughs> that suspicion very much confirmed. Mm-hmm. But for lots of people, they don't have any idea when they go in. And the best way you can do is just learn whatever you can, talk to people, play around and experiment. And of course, you don't have to identify as a dominant or a submissive. Okay. So you can try both. You just have to agree upon that with your partner, right? Yeah, and not all scenes have to have clear have to have any power exchange or a clear top and bottom. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So then how is it how does it work then if that's not been determined beforehand? So so these roles are a good descriptor for what you're already doing. And you don't you shouldn't feel the need to pigeonhole yourself into doing certain things because of the label you have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's identity politics 101. So it's very much sort of talking about what you're going to be doing and who is doing what and this might not look like traditional top bottom dom sub so uh-huh. you can have you can have a clear expectation of what you're going to do going in as long as you don't think that you have to create this that particular dynamic okay but then you can identify as one or the other later on if you like oh yes yes okay. i am absolutely a submissive and and not a dominant and not a switch etc okay and a switch is when you can do both or you like to change back and forth one or the other or both, absolutely. So what if somebody doesn't have a partner or they weren't able to meet somebody um, who's ready to be a partner with them yet and they really want to start trying out some different forms of play? What can they do to do that? Should they just show up at a dungeon and you know see if somebody there is willing to play? What should you do? That's one way of doing it and it's something that has worked for some people. It's not personally how I would go about it. Um, I would 
mostly just get talking to and socializing with people who do the thing. Even if they are not going to be your partner, they're more likely to know someone who will okay. uh, go to top classes if you identify as a bottom and vice versa. Uh, Tess, sometimes we recently had a couple of classes that were sort of taste of kink. We had one that was uh, a room with different stations that were all different kinds of bondage. Mm. So you could get a sense of what you liked. And another that was more broad that was just uh, various types of play. So you can go and just the more people you meet and the more you get into a community, uh, which is really what means a lot to me and to Tess, the rest will kind of follow. Yeah. And, it, and it can feel frustrating if you haven't met the person yet, but it's or, or people, but it is worth waiting and getting to figure out who you are and who your friends are and what you like. That's awesome. I love that idea. And it's just like anything else, like even in vanilla lifestyle, like you, you know, move to a new city or something. It's like you have to find a new community of people. And that's just the way it is. So um, I, I like that idea of just having patience and continuing to show up at events, take classes, really um, involve yourself and find out what you like and what you don't like. For you personally, what has been the, the most enjoyable part of finding this community and becoming a teacher of erotic hypnosis and all these these things? that you're involved in at Tess? Well, if you're someone with non-mainstream sexual desires and particularly someone who maybe has struggled with them, there's a great emotional value in just being able to connect with similar people. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having a culture of something that's turned out to be really important to me and to share what I've learned and so other people can maybe become comfortable, it's really validating and it's a really fun way to be validated. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. yeah. So what is the biggest message or the biggest takeaway that you would like to share with the NOL listeners? It could be about anything with BDSM myths within society, the test community, anything that you want people to walk away with today. Yeah. Broadly speaking, the, the biggest uh, myth is that BDSM is fundamentally unhealthy. And what I would say is this is healthy. Mm-hmm. There's an image out there of a person who hurts others or wants to be hurt out of some sort of self-worth problem or past trauma. And that's reductive at best and really damaging at worst. And it's a reason that kinky people can deal with a lot of guilt and internalize Um, negative feelings when they have these desires. And there's lots of positive ways of approaching it. You can do BDSM because it can be a way of exploring intimacy with someone that you really care about, or you can get a better understanding of the way your body works or your mind, or it can be a creative outlet. There's, Mm. I mean, good God, if you look at uh, rope kink online, there are people who who are essentially artists. Or just a sexual outlet. If that's all you want, that's fine, too. That's what being sex positive means. Mm -hmm. And while you have every right to privacy, you also have the right to form community with others and that there's strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. And so when when you have a big room full of people who all say, I'm sadistic or masochistic or whatever, it doesn't mean you're having an in-gathering of insane people. It means you have people who are expressing something really positive together. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well... Michal, thank you so much for taking time to share all these great messages with the listeners of Nothing Off Limits. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michelle. I've had a really good time. And for all of you out there listening, again, go to tess.org. That's T-E-S dot org. And uh, get your membership going. Thanks again, Michal. Thank you. Bye. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits. 
email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.